Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Sharing the bread. Sharing the wine together has power. This isn't what I'm talking on, but I just feel, just I need to say something here. We don't do it enough. And that's partly because we failed in the past to plan it into our Sunday mornings. We've tended to say we'll do it when the worship leaders feel like it or when the person preaching or anchoring feels like it and as a result we've not done it often enough but I also want you to know there is liberty this is something you can do in small group it is something you can do when you meet with a few others in your home and I want you to feel the liberty to do that Because I think this morning, God, as we've shared the bread and the wine, has been doing some powerful things. I was praying with Adrian, because he's having some problems with his knees, because of the medication that he's on. And it would be great, let's pray for him again at the end of the meeting, and ask God to finish the work that he's starting there, and bring relief from the pain that he's feeling. Amen? Are a few of you up for that? I think God uses the bread and the wine to do all those things that we sometimes are a bit uncomfortable about. To break down barriers in our own life. To break down barriers between ourselves and other people. I'm going to say we're going to leave it on the table here. And feel free at the end of the meeting what little there is left to come and partake again to share it with people to pray with people anyone else up for that? because I I think God's been at work this morning you know other than that it's been quite a difficult Sunday morning All because of a silly mistake. I forgot to bring the offering baskets. And as a result, we've ended up with a cardboard box for the offering. And some funny little dishes with some sweets in it. I'm quite happy if it goes that way, Colin. I'm quite happy. But my apologies for that. Anyway, last week I spent some time outlining our vision as a church and starting to spell out what some of it means. Now, I think I probably explained that sometimes we need to put aside our preconceptions of what church is like, take a fresh look at it and fall in love with it again. And I hope that maybe over the coming weeks, as we look further at the type of church that we are aiming to be and the values that we hold together, that that's what will happen to you. That you will fall in love again with the church. 
Because it's something we should all love. It is, after all, the building of the Bride of Christ. And as we look at our values, we need to see that they influence the way we live out our faith together and the way we express it to others. And I want to look a little bit at that this morning before getting into my main subject. To explain the importance of these values, we need for a moment to look at how the foundations of a church are laid. And I've got some pictures. <coughs> to have a solid Bible-based church, it's important that the first foundation we lay is what we believe. That should be rooted squarely on the scriptures. And so, for example, we would agree wholeheartedly with the statement of belief of the Evangelical Alliance. Because it's a good first step in defining what we believe as a church together. We're Bible-believing Christians, we're Evangelicals, and that is as good a first step as any. And those things are so core to who we are and what we believe that we have to safeguard them at all, all costs. It's important that our doctrine, our beliefs, define us as a church. And that this alone should be what underpins everything we are and everything we do. But then, once we're clear on what it is we believe, we can begin to see with more clarity what our purpose is. Why we're here. What our role is going to be. We can begin to see how we fit into the tapestry that is the other churches in the town. This is where we can start to see whether we are playing our part. It is our purpose and our beliefs that show us what's important to us. Together, they shape our values. Our values shape us in the way we go about things, what we choose to do as a church. And it is our values, our purpose and our beliefs that show us what we are going to do. And that's our vision, what we were talking about last week. And in turn, all those things start to tell us how it is we are going to go about it. Over the past few years, we have spent time looking at our key beliefs. For example, we've looked at what the Bible teaches about the church. We've spent time looking at what it is to believe that the spiritual gifts are available to the church today for the building up and edifying of the body. 
We've spent time looking at what grace is about and how it should dominate our lives and affect the way we deal with each other and with other people. We've spoken about our purpose and our vision. We've talked about plans and intentions. But actually, we haven't often looked at the part that holds all this together. Our values, the things we hold dear, the things that are important to us. And so this morning, we're going to start a series looking at these things. It's going to go over a number of weeks. It's going to take us past Easter to explore it in depth. But this morning, we're going to look at the first of these values. And it's this. That we want to be a gospel-preaching church that is loving, that is righteous in its lifestyle, but is involved in world mission and reaching the unsaved, both in its community, by public and personal evangelism in the locality. You know, Jesus was clear on the mission of the church. He started telling his disciples about it quite early on and very clearly. To the first two disciples that he met and called, he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Even when he appeared to the eleven in the period between his resurrection and his ascension, he told them this, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. The command to go into all the world and preach the gospel is clear and it's unambiguous. He told the apostles they weren't just to stay in Jerusalem, but that they were to take the message he'd given them to other places. He told them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The gospel that Jesus gave us is the message of the church. It's the evangelistic message concerning the way of salvation through Jesus alone. And it's supposed to be on the move. It's supposed to reach those who are not yet followers of Christ. If we look back at what our purpose as a church is, it's to give praise and worship to our almighty God. But our mission, because there aren't yet enough people worshipping him, is to spread the good news, the gospel of Christ. And that gospel is supposed to break through each and every spiritual obstacle. It's supposed to release new worshippers who, freed by the cross and by the resurrection of Jesus, are brought to life in him. And who in turn are made members of a new and joyful worshipping community.
community. The gospel is an active message. It's a going message. We are supposed to be taking it with us everywhere we go. Each and every local church needs to be plugged into its mission. And it needs to be doing that locally, regionally and globally. We're part of each other in Christ. And each and every church should be a contributing member to Christ's mission here on this planet. And as part of the family of churches, we should be eagerly praying for and supporting each other in church planting efforts, wherever they happen. We should be supporting those who work to take the gospel to the nations. And here at Gateway, I'm pleased to say that we do just that. We are regularly supporting David and Lucy as they seek to do that in Tajikistan. But while it's great to be supporting the work in prayer or financially in other towns or nations, the going emphasis isn't just about other communities. It also includes us serving our most immediate neighbours with evangelism. <coughs> you know... It's easy in our enthusiasm for world mission, or perhaps if we're more honest, because of our nervousness about trying to reach our family and friends, our neighbours, our work colleagues, to look at what we do in terms of overseas mission and neglect our part here in Doncaster. And as people who are gathered with a commitment to trying to plant a new church here, we need to be making genuine contact with the people in this town, with our own neighbourhood, our own street, those in our own health club or our own workplace. Because the very front edge of our mission together as a church has to be about communicating the gospel to non-believers. It's vital because of that that we are all willing to serve those non-believers who are just literally on our own doorstep. Now to do that, you don't have to be an extrovert. You just have to be someone who has a genuine care of others as their motivation. And I want to challenge you this morning to start off by doing something simple. By praying regularly for your friends, for your work colleagues and your neighbours. And then asking God, what can I do to reach them with the good news? Because if you do that, you will be surprised at the opportunities that God will open up right in front of you. But then, our church 
is also to be a character witness. The church should be displaying the character of God. And so part of our goal here is to plant a healthy local church where friendships are a reality, not just something superficial or artificial. Where there's genuine love for each other, genuine concern, where we are genuinely going in grace and becoming more like Christ together. When we hear of trouble or difficulties within the church, our response is to show love, to show concern, to pray or to help if we're able to. When Paul wrote to the Philippians, he used some really tender terms when he described the kind of community that he hoped they were building. Listen to this. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection or sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. we know that Paul was quite a robust character. He endured a lot. He was a heroic leader in many ways. He often suffered greatly in his apostolic work. But here, what he paints is just a picture of godly harmony and tender love. And that's when he describes the church. This is emphasised by all the other references we find in the New Testament to how we are to be with one another. In Hebrews 3, we're told to encourage one another. In 1 Thessalonians 5, to be building one another up. In Hebrews 10, to be spurring one another on. In Ephesians 4, to be bearing with one another. In Romans 14, edifying one another. In Galatians 5, serving one another. In Romans 12, honouring one another. Again in Ephesians 5, submitting to one another. In James 5, confessing our sins to one another. In Romans 15, instructing one another. And in Colossians 3, teaching one another. In Ephesians 4, forgiving one another. And being kind and compassionate to one another. In Romans 12, it says we should devote ourselves to one another. And live together in harmony. And perhaps the hardest of all, in Romans 15, it says, accept one another. And the list goes on. You know, the weapons of our warfare 
a spiritual. And so church communities that are marked by love and by godliness are naturally attractive to those outside. So often when people tell the story of their conversion, it includes an experience of being loved by a church community. And often, for people who are unused to such an experience, it is unexpected and utterly different to what they see in the world. And that love, that acceptance, paves the way for them to hear the message. But as well as living out the gospel... As well as letting our light shine, we have got to be proclaiming it. In the mid-1800s, Spurgeon spent several weeks visiting some great Bible-believing churches in his area. He was under quite deep conviction of his sin and he was desperate to get right with God. And his testimony is that while he heard some great preaching on the privileges of Christians, of their present comfort and future happiness in heaven, that there was nothing for him. Finally, he visited a small primitive Methodist chapel where someone simply applied the scripture to the non-believer And that day, Spurgeon was saved and born again. He left that meeting a new creation. But that isn't the end of the story. Spurgeon, as you possibly know, became one of our greatest preachers in history. And so you have to ask yourself, What kind of church did he build? What kind of messages did he preach? And his practice was to speak directly to the non-Christians who came. Often, particularly in his early years, many of his messages were purely evangelistic. But throughout his whole life, his practice was to preach in a way that had application to both the believer and the guest alike. And as a result, his church grew. I suppose the question for us this morning is, would Spurgeon have heard the gospel message if he had been at our church service today? I'd like to think he would. Because in a lot of our meetings, there is something of that golden thread. Now, I'm not suggesting that we have or should have only one message that we preach. But what we need to recognise is that we are on a mission, and in every public gathering of the church, we should be seeking to touch any unbelievers there are amongst us. 
We should be taking the time to introduce the key elements of the gospel, whether it comes in our preaching, in our contributions, our testimonies or our prayers. We need to see that in reality all of our church meetings are potentially evangelistic. Now, many of our family churches hold special evangelistic services. They have them on certain Sundays. They're called various things. Freedom Sundays, guest services. And I'll tell you what, we without a doubt are getting better at them. I thought our Christmas service was terrific. Anyone else think it was good? I thought it was great. And the good news is, we're working on another one for Easter. Aren't we, Joel? (laughs) (coughs) Did that catch you by surprise? I'm sure I had mentioned it. We are working on another one for Easter. But I hope that many of us will have people that we can invite to these opportunities. So that we see people challenged, interested, invited to learn more through alpha or small groups, and eventually saved and added and healed and discipled. We must remember we have a responsibility. And our responsibility isn't even just at those times. We are always on duty. It would be great to see friends and visitors amongst us week by week. To see them being come and being overwhelmed at our small groups. It would be great to see them rubbing shoulders with us at our socials and at our fishing pool events. It would be great to know that whenever we bring someone, we have confidence that there will be something relevant for them, no matter who's preaching, whatever the subject or the scripture passage. The type of church we want to build is that. A church that preaches the gospel, but is loving and caring, but is righteous in its lifestyle, but is involved in world mission, but is working to reach the unsaved in its own community. A church whose members are committed to both the corporate and their own personal evangelistic activity. Let's make sure that as a church, that as individual believers, that we are wonderful witnesses for our wonderful Lord, Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.